I have said this time and time again on here, but I'm going to say it again. The problems in baseball have been viewed through a black and white narrative for over a century. And frankly, I'm tired of it. I will never be on the side of the oppressor. What black Americans have historically faced in baseball is disgusting and unfair in a million and one ways. And what they face today is still unjust. But the goal of this podcast has been to offer a different perspective. One where we challenge the narratives that we've heard our entire lives. One where we think differently. One where we consider another angle. No one and nothing is perfect. Jackie Robinson did incredible things for the sport we love. But he could not have done it without Latino players before him. Branch Rickey was huge in breaking the color line. But he didn't value Latino talent early on like he probably should have. The All-American Girls Professional Baseball League was massive in the progression of women's sports. But every player had fair skin, including the small number of Latinas. Roberto Clemente was instrumental in the advancement of Latin baseball. But he had a temper and was no saint. Fernando Valenzuela and the Dodgers created Mexican identity in Los Angeles. But Dodger Stadium has a dark history with the city unjustly displacing Mexicans. What we haven't really talked about yet is all the history behind how these stories get to us. How the people that pass these stories may be telling them unjustly. Or how there weren't enough people with the right background to tell those stories, let alone the ones we'll never get a chance to know. We are done thinking of baseball as black and white. It's over. We have to stop. We are brown. We are in the middle. And these are our stories. This is our sport. This is our game. You're listening to Our Game, how the search for a Latino Jackie Robinson turned into something way more complicated. I'm Steve Granato. I will say it up top, right here, to get it out of the way. The baseball press has historically been white men. The baseball press has largely not included black, brown, Asian, and women journalists. I will also say this at the top. It's getting better. We are seeing more and more diverse journalists across the game. So that's good. But it's not good enough. We are on episode 7. And I know this is a while ago, but to understand how these issues became so commonplace in baseball, we have to back all the way up to episode one. We're back in the mid-1890s in Spanish-ruled Cuba. As a refresher, baseball was becoming more popular in Cuba as the first Latin country to popularize the game as the country's turmoil is boiling. Cuban independence away from Spanish rule is a hot topic, and the Spanish don't like baseball. It's Western, and it's American. To their credit, a few American newspapers began noticing how popular baseball was in Cuba. The 
The Sporting Press, one of the biggest American baseball publications, had hired a Cuban writer by the name of Carlos Ayala, who was pretty big in Cuba, to help readers in the States understand baseball abroad. Our old friend Abel Linares, who we learned about in episode two, was also hired as a columnist. The one I want to talk about right now is Luis Someyan. Someyan was hired by the publication Sporting Life as a correspondent and columnist to report on Cuban baseball to the American people in 1893. Someyan and company are beginning to connect America to Cuba. The game is international. Barnstorming teams from the U.S. head to the island for tours, and barnstorming teams from the island head to the mainland. This sounds positive to us today, but the Spanish thought of it differently. Somayan was arrested for his writings. In 1895, he was taken by the Spanish government as an insurgent collaborator. He was sentenced to a North African prison, convicted of treason. Somayan was a part of a large movement to stop baseball. Just a year prior, the Spanish actually banned the 1894-1895 Cuban baseball season. Not only that, but Cuban league owner Emilio Saborin was also arrested in 95 and died two years later in prison from malnutrition. These journalists and personnel literally risked everything to cover and grow the game, life and limb to tell the American public that their game was being shared internationally. Clearly, these are the most extreme cases. And this was not happening in America. It was in Cuba. But remember that the game begins getting popular in the Caribbean and Latin Americas at the turn of the century, which these stories are a precursor to. As more leagues are formed and players begin to shine, the exchange between the U.S. and Latin countries grows. The Latin players in the States were routinely questioned about their heritage. We discussed in episode two how guys like Vincent Nava had to take on Spanish heritage to make it okay for teams to allow him to play. He wasn't alone in the slightest. Papers a lot of times when deciding if players are allowed in would talk about their parents and their lineage, arguing for or against a player coming in. If it was for, it was always downplaying their brownness. Remember, you're Spanish, not Mexican, not Cuban. It was always a question mark. If it was against, it was using that brownness to deny them that entry. Let's fast forward. During episode four, we talked about Roberto Clemente at length. We talked about names, baseball cards, and the press surrounding baseball. In the 1960s, Clemente began calling out the American press time and time again. He routinely brought up that there weren't enough Spanish-speaking journalists covering baseball during his time. This is something that Roberto Clemente would talk about in the clubhouse. I'm Julie Alexandria, and I am a sports journalist and field reporter for Major League Baseball, as well as a correspondent on the West Coast for La Vida Baseball. You know, 60 years ago, about how there were no writers of color and that there were no Hispanic writers in the clubhouse that wanted to talk to him after a game or who made it a point to get his words right and that so much was lost in translation. As Latinos began coming out of the shadows in the majors, Latin press slowly started to climb. It took a while, but today, some 50 years later, there are more Spanish-speaking journalists covering the game. 
Like we said earlier, it's getting better, but it's still not great. One thing we didn't talk about during the Clemente episode that struck a chord with me was language. We did speak about how Roberto spoke Spanish on American TV after the 1971 World Series. It was a massive deal in Puerto Rico and for Spanish speakers. And before I say anything in English, I would, I would like to say something for my mother and father in Spanish. En el día más grande de mi vida, para los nenes, la bendición mía y que mis padres me echen mi bendición en Puerto Rico. Like I've stated before on the show, I do not speak Spanish. My parents do not speak Spanish. I'm not the only Latino like this. I don't speak Spanish. Do you speak Spanish? I don't. I am not confident in my Spanish speaking skills. I can give some basic directions to the bathroom, order some food, but that's about it for me. One thing I had never considered was still feeling the same way, even if I considered myself bilingual. Here's what I mean. My name is Fabian Ordaya, and I'm a staff writer for The Athletic. Uh, I speak Spanish, but like, it's not as strong as I would like it to be. So like, there's times where I'm asking questions in Spanish where I'm like double-checking in my head like as I'm saying it. It's like, am I saying the right thing? I'll like, like take a couple steps back and just try to like, work my way through with the guys. Language is not a one-to-one -one translation oftentimes. There are differences in culture at play, and not only that, Spanish also varies country to country. There's a lot of things up in the air. Clemente was complaining to American press about its lack of diversity, but he's complaining to white male writers. It's not really their problem to change, at least from their point of view. And that seems to draw me towards today. Think about baseball today. If you're an avid fan like I am, you're probably reading articles, following people on Twitter, watching TV, listening on the radio. Diversity has gotten better. But it's not that hard to get better than basically zero. What you're reading, what you're watching, it's still dominated by white males. The press is better, and I think the press is more diverse. They have done a good job when it comes to the beat writers. You walk into any major league clubhouse, and I would say within the past five years, you do see a very diverse group, women included. And we have more women sports writers more than ever. And, and that's wonderful. And I think that that does help. But what's incredible to me and unfathomable, and I was just talking about this with Carlos Villanueva, assistant GM now for the Milwaukee Brewers, you know, it took baseball until 2016 to have a club mandated, a club appointed interpreter whose sole job it was to just interpret for the Latin guys in each clubhouse. That job used to fall on the veteran latin guys who were bilingual yeah and even then it's not like i mean they don't have like a designated like that's not their only job most of the time it's like a coach on staff most of the time it's like a media relations representative like their job is more than just being an interpreter at this point Thinking about Spanish-speaking players in baseball, the stories that oftentimes get told are just the stories of struggle, rising from the slums to become something great. And while, hey, I'm no slob, I love a rags-to-riches story, there's many more stories to be told. There's more to these players than just being poor and then being rich. If you watched the 2020 World Series, you might remember this story about Randy Arozarena that kept getting told. 
And, and Randy, I don't know how comfortable you are sharing some of the details, but can you provide a little bit of the background of how you left Cuba and what that was like for you? I know different players have told some, some scary stories of how it was for them. Um, just a little bit now that I'm in the big leagues and I've able to, to share my story with the fans, you know, it's been you know, quite the mission to, to be here and it's good to uh, have the world be interested in how we got here. Um, you know, just the, the work that you get to get into this level is I definitely grateful. Right. And, and when did you make it in the first try? Did you have any other attempts? Were you, I assume you were on a, a raft or a boat as most players do. While there was pretty good coverage of the historical impact of a Rosarena's play during the World Series, it still seemed to start with the story of him leaving Cuba. There's more to Randy Rosarena than leaving Cuba and coming to the States. It's just, these stories need to be told. Like, that's the thing. Like, you can't just, it's not a good enough excuse to just, like, all right, I can't speak the same language as this person. Like, they aren't worth writing about. Like, no, like, these are people, like, have unique stories. They're worth writing about. They're worth talking to. And we're getting to know. And a lot of the times, like, these guys, like, they, some of them don't speak a whole lot of English, but some of them, like, genuinely do, and they just don't really feel fully comfortable uh, or making sure that their words aren't taken out of context or, like, make sure they're saying the right thing. When it comes to language with these players, too, the onus has been on them to learn English, not the press learning Spanish. That leads to players being uncomfortable and sharing stories to these reporters. Not only that, but a lot of the stories shared about Spanish-speaking players are shared in Spanish. That doesn't give the English-speaking fans like me much wiggle room to learn about these players. It seems as though the English-speaking baseball press doesn't necessarily go out of their way as a whole to help share new and exciting stories from a different perspective. Let's face it, it's easier for the English-speaking press to share a story about Mike Trout or Mookie Betts than it is about Ronald Acuna Jr. or Jose Abreu. There doesn't seem to be as hard a push for coverage of Latin players in English. Maybe you're similar to me, a Latino who grew up in the States and doesn't speak Spanish. You want to learn about these players, but can't because there isn't coverage. The world today is becoming more and more diverse. But just like with anything, any change comes with friction. Me looking at the racial unrest in the country and some of the protests that were going on and looking inward at my own industry and the fact that like there just isn't a lot of Latino representation, there isn't a lot of black representation, there isn't a lot of minority representation, a lot of female representation in there. Baseball has been covered by mostly men for its entirety. So when we talk about the coverage of the game, it's irresponsible to do it without talking about women in the game. Not only do women in baseball media have a hard time earning respect, but all the factors that make it harder compound for women of color. My name is Maria Torres, and I cover the Angels for the Los Angeles Times. I would say I've experienced the, the microaggressions, and, and we call them microaggressions because no one ever seems to mean it, right? Like, that's not... It's, it's not the intent, but like I do remember, like in my very first like baseball related internship, 
I, I think my first or second interview in the clubhouse was uh, with a Spanish speaker and I was just listening. I, I mean, my job is to be there and listen and report and ask questions, right? So that's all that I was doing. And then a reporter turned to me and asked me, what did he say? And I said, um, well, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing that, that mental game. That's not, I don't know how to do that. You need to be trained in that, like, in, in that specific, like, job. Hey, you talk about microaggressions or, you know, people sort of assumptions that they make. The minute I would reveal that I'm half Puerto Rican or I have Puerto Rican heritage, it's like, ooh, spicy or ooh, a Latina, ooh, you know, and it kind of got this like, oh, then you must be over-sexualized in a way. And, and I think that is in part just Hollywood's view of how they depict <laughs> Latinas, um, which is certainly not healthy. But I think that would be one of the quickest misconceptions. Years of old thinking are still prevalent in baseball today. Women reporters and journalists are still fighting not only to get a seat at the table, but fighting for respect in the game. Do you feel prejudice because of your skin color? Do you, have you ever felt that in baseball itself that people are looking at you different because of how you look? I mean, I think they look at me different because I'm usually the only female. But for my skin color? No. I've never felt... No. It's never worked against me, if that's what you're asking. Um, it's always been something that I've been able to use to my advantage because the Latin guys see a familiar looking face. And at the end of the day, I'm a female. And so as you know, there are many female in-game field reporters because guys are more willing to open up to us in different ways. And so we're able to get different types of stories, different angles um, than the broadcast booth. And that's personally why I think a lot of clubs will, will go for hiring a female in that role. But no, I've, I've, never, I've never felt any discrimination to me personally based on the color of my skin. Do I feel that it's gotten better in Major League Baseball? Yes, definitely. Baseball is falling into the same trap that it fell in with the men. The female journalists that are starting to become more prevalent in baseball are white. Women of color are hard to come by. That's why reporters like Houston's Julia Morales, ESPN's Jessica Mendoza, our friends Julie Alexandria and Maria Torres, and Sportsnet's Hazel May are so important. Not to sound like an annoying Twitter account, but representation is huge. How can you reasonably expect a story to be responsibly told by someone who has zero connection to that story? The history of baseball media isn't great. It's historically dominated by one type of person. Ozzy Guillen Jr., I'm a host on La Vida Baseball and Being Guillen. You know, in, in corporate America, they're always feeding the pipeline. I know in two or three years, I'm going to have my boss's job, hopefully. And he'll train me and, and mentor me to be able to do that because his mentor's doing that with him. And you're jumping from company to company and, and innovating and whatnot. With broadcasting, it's, it's really hard. They don't... <laughs> They don't expand on the broadcast, okay? They don't They don't change it up. They have the guys that are there and, and it's really hard to break in. And for, and for you to break in, they want experience, yet they don't give it to you. So it's, it's a very, it's a hard, hard market to get into, especially as a minority. So what now? 
This is a problem. From print to online to TV, Latino representation is hard to come by. What can we do? Well, for one, like I said at the beginning, stop talking about baseball's racial or diversity problems as black and white, because it's not. I'm right here. I'm a Mexican-American play-by-play broadcaster. I've faced all the same things that many of the people we've heard from in this episode have faced. And I've struggled immensely to get a seat at the table. I'm still struggling. We can't stop talking about these issues. We can't stop questioning everything we read or hear. We have to consider another angle. We can't stop putting pressure on the people who make decisions to hire broadcasters and writers to make more diverse hires. We also need to consider the pipeline. The minor league baseball pipeline feeds into the majors, both on the field and in the press box. Minority numbers for play-by-play and writing in minor league baseball are exponentially worse than they are in the bigs. Those numbers need to get better, which will eventually help the numbers up in the show grow. They're seeing people trickle in and like they're like, oh, okay, this is progress, which it is. Like This is not going to happen overnight. But like, also, it's just important to keep sort of banging that drama in a sense, just because it's really important to have people of different experiences to be able to tell these stories. Things are changing in baseball, from the analytics of the game to the players and press Baseball is changing, and there's no way to stop it. We do have an an influx of younger reporters who, you know, watch watch the Griffey years. They watched uh, they watched every other you know they watched from the '90s on and and saw a different maybe a different style of play and and grew up learning about the numbers in a different way than the the guys who grew up reading the box scores and and newspapers did. Perspectives are going to continue to shift. We learned all the way back in episode one how baseball began as the gentleman's game, proper and high class. That's gone now. The press that tells us about the game are going to have to change too. From bat flipping to the energy that the game is played with to swinging 3-0. and It's changing, and it's changing fast. Today's game is vastly different than it was when Alexander Cartwright wrote those rules in 1843. Where do Latino ballplayers fit into those rules? They're rewriting them. That's next time on our final episode of Our Game. Stay tuned for a preview of next week's episode. Thank you to Julie Alexandria, Ozzie Guillen Jr., Maria Torres, and Fabian Ardaya for speaking with me. Make sure to check out Julie and Ozzie at LaVita Baseball, Fabian's work in The Athletic, and Maria's work in The LA Times. Information and sound clips for this episode come from the books Playing America's Game by Adrian Burgos Jr., The Empire Strikes Out, How Baseball Sold U.S. Foreign Policy and Promoted the American Way Abroad by Robert Elias. The Ringer and The Athletic. Our theme song and original music are produced by Alex Schmitten. You can support our work by going to anchor.fm slash ourgamepodcast and clicking support. Anything you can donate will help. Tell your friends and family about the show too and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And make sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. 
Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Our Game Podcast. We post pictures and videos for every episode. You'll also get sneak peeks of the following week's episode. You can follow me on Twitter too. That's at Steve Granado. Next time on the final episode of Our Game. Sometimes a lot is made of the unwritten rules of the game here in the United States. How are you able to manage being able to express yourself, being able to be Fernando Tatis Jr. having such a great time, but also keep in mind these unwritten rules that exist somewhere? Players are always going to dictate what the game is, and there's always going to be unwritten rules. There's unwritten rules in every industry that you go to. If you tell me that that's not true, you're full of it. To me, my number one rule is do whatever you want to do. Just don't look at somebody else's eyes. Everything in baseball is so old school. How long do you think until that passion is just completely taken over the game in the United States? 